This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Heartland Seuss Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Engineer and power executive Don Deers has been a longtime policy advisor to the Heartland Institute. Among his other accomplishments, he has presented at the International Conferences on Climate Change hosted by Heartland and has written several books on climate change, including Clexit for a Brighter Future, The Case for Withdrawing from the United Nations, Climate Treaties, and Nothing to Fear, A Bright Future for Fossil Fuels. Uh, I interviewed him after Clexit, um, and he's got a new book out. Clean Energy Crisis, The Challenge of Replacing Fossil Fuels, and that's what he's here to discuss today. As we ring in a new year, fresh on the hills of power shortfalls and during a severe storm, Deere's message is more potent and timely than ever. Don, thanks for being with us. Well, that's great. I appreciate being here. So, Don, before we jump into the arguments in your book, for our audience who may not be familiar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to work on climate and energy issues. Well, when I um, left the Navy at the end of the Korean War, I joined General Electric on its uh, manufacturing management program, which was essentially an internal MBA program. I spent three years on that. But I spent my entire career at General Electric, where I worked in several different businesses, uh, locomotives, uh, large steam turbines, DC motors, uh, transformers, small jet engines, and one or two others. So I had a, a, a great opportunity to see a, a great many products, how they're built and how they're sold. Um, I also had an opportunity to work with many customers in various industries, mining, um, the oil and gas industry, steel, I like to say I've been in steel mills from from uh, Cleveland to uh, Cairo. But anyway, it, it was a great experience. I had a great time. And uh, toward the end of my career, I was able to establish subsidiaries in, in around the world, about 14 different countries, um, to service General Electric uh, gas turbines and other products. So it was a great experience. And... Uh, It was very heavily oriented toward power generation and, you know, gas turbines, transformers, and so forth. But in the process of working with these other industries, I had a chance to pick up a great deal of information about the oil and gas and mining industries. And how did that bring you ultimately to writing now three books about climate change, basically? Well, I attended one of the conferences uh, early conferences uh, put on by Heartland. And uh, the evidence is so overwhelming that uh, that CO2 really isn't the main cause of climate change uh, that I really got interested and, uh, and uh, got, got deeply involved and tried to understand the science, understand where IPCC was coming from and so forth. But as I got into it, it just became more and more evident that um, 
climate change is not being caused primarily by CO2 and, and greenhouse gases, and that this effort to eliminate fossil fuels was very destructive, destructive to society around the world and especially to our country here. So what in particular, Don, was the impetus for your newest book, Clean Energy Crisis? Well, as you know, I got diagnosed with uh, an incurable cancer, and um, and as a result, I I I I, I just had to. I, I was going to write this book, but I just knew I had to get it done quickly. So I worked on it and um, was able to uh, get it finished by the end of the year. And of course, my underlying motivation has been that this book is for really for my great-grandchildren and all the other children in, in, in America. And I've dedicated the book to them because they're the ones that are going to suffer if we, uh, if we go through with this energy transi- transmission that is uh, currently underway. If, uh, if, if Biden and the Democrats and even a few uh, Republicans get their way and push us off of fossil fuel somehow and, and towards sort of so-called you, what you call clean energy, which is wind, solar, the like. Right. So why is it so difficult to replace fossil fuels? What characteristics and potentials do they have that it's difficult to replace effectively and affordably with other supposedly greener sources of energy? Well, fundamentally, there's a, a physical difference um, Fossil fuels have a very high energy content, very high energy density. So as an example, somebody else has pointed this out. It takes a 1,000-pound battery to replace 80, 80 pounds of, of gasoline. So uh, the fossil fuels have, so, have that fundamental advantage of just being very compact in terms of their ability to put forth energy. Um, but there's other factors, too. Um, the fact of the matter is that, that um, uh, the so-called clean energy, as you pointed out, wind and solar, and now the incorporating batteries, they're not as efficient, and um, they're intermittent, and they're not reliable. So whereas fossil fuels are very efficient, uh, 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 very reliable, and uh, the electricity they generate, say, with natural gas is 24-7, 365 days a year, whereas wind and solar um, uh, are intermittent and unreliable. So uh, as an example, and I put this one in the book, it takes 250 large wind turbines spread over 150 square miles to replace one 600-megawatt coal-fired power plant. So uh, that's an example. That's a real-world example of, of, how, uh, of how fossil fuels can do a better job more efficiently and more reliably uh, than can uh, so-called clean energy. In, in addition, uh, extracting oil and natural gas does very little environmental damage compared to mining and processing of all the minerals and all the rare earths uh, required for wind turbines and solar and 
especially batteries. So uh, in addition to that, wind and solar require backup because they're intermittent, and that increases their cost. So uh, in fact, even though the media says wind and solar are cheap, the fact is that when you include batteries especially, wind and solar actually cause uh, higher costs for electricity. So they're not cheaper. They're actually more expensive. Well, you see that uh, you see that you know they they sell it into the grid uh, during peak times. They can sell it in very cheaply because there's no fuel cost. But if you want to know whether they're cheaper than fossil fuels, you look at power prices and whether they go up or down uh, as more of that is added and fossil fuels are removed. And it turns out the states where um, Wind and solar are penetrating the fastest, where states typically are mandating ever larger amounts of wind and solar. Their prices are rising faster than uh, states where they still primarily rely on fossil fuels. That's just the data. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, in my earlier book, uh, uh, The Looming Energy Crisis, I did a comparison between those states that are uh, using uh, RTO ISOs uh, compared with the traditional method for uh, man- for managing the grid, mm-hmm. and in every instance they are far more expensive than uh, the electricity generated is more expensive than doing it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. So, in a modern industrialized world. Why is reaching net zero an illusion? And why would it be a bad goal to strive for? Why is it a bad goal to strive for, even if it weren't for all intents and purposes impossible? Yeah, that's the fact. It really is impossible um, to achieve net zero. For example, I've got this in the book, too. Um, It would take, we'd have to build 31 new nuclear power plants. Uh, rated 1,000 megawatts, the size that we've been building have built in the past. We have to build 31 new nuclear power plants every year between now and 2050 in order to achieve net zero, and we haven't even been able to build one over the past 10 years. So that's that's one one impossibility. But when you look at at um, at wind and solar, once again, we would have to install so much more wind and solar than we've ever installed before that it's it's literally impossible to to eliminate the use of fossil fuels and get to net zero yeah hundreds so, of, you're talking hundreds of turbines every day uh for each day until 2050 yeah that's right so it's it's really um it's it's really impossible now just trying to do that uh, creates, if when we start going down that path, the further we get down that path, the more damage it does to our economy and to our country. Uh, first of all, there, there would be more blackouts, and blackouts kill people, as we saw in Texas here two years ago. So today, we, we're really uh, in, a, in a position of going down a path that's ultimately going to destroy our country if we go down that path too far. Uh, 
and and I, I examine in the book, I examine the grid, I examine uh, the fact that we have vast uh, uh, vast res- uh, resources, vast reserves of fossil fuels. Um, I examine the uh, batteries and battery-powered vehicles and what that would mean in the future for the mining. And um, what we would be doing if we go down that path, we have a tremendous strategic advantage with our fossil fuels. In fact, we have greater fossil fuel reserves than any other country in the world. And we'd be trading that strategic and economic advantage for becoming dependent on other countries for the materials that are required for wind and solar and for battery-powered vehicles. And, you know, it it, it might not be it, – it, it would still be bad, I think, but it might not be terrible if the other countries we were relying upon were, say, Canada or England, but the countries we're relying upon are China primarily. Uh, and 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 uh, if China has its way, increasingly Afghanistan, perhaps uh, not countries that are reliable partners. I'd say. Well, that's a fact. And uh, one of the interesting things about this materials is one of the analysis I did, and this is in the book. I looked at the um, uh, what would happen if all the cars uh, were battery in the world were battery powered vehicles, and um, the amount of materials that are required are astounding. As one example, and this is one of several, we would have to we would have to develop 21 new graphite mines around the world, as large as the largest graphite mine that's ever been built. 21 new graphite mines in order to supply the graphite that's needed for battery-powered vehicles, and that's true with other materials such as lithium and cobalt and copper and so forth. So uh, it's it's literally, it gets back to being almost impossible to even being able to do that. And once again, the countries that we'd have to rely on for those materials are not friendly. Yeah. And, and we need those mines. It's not like, it's not like we can wait to get those mines they all open on January 1st, 2050, and we're there. No, we need them in the meantime. They need to be producing now to get us there. Uh, the, the, the cars need to be hitting the, the roads now to get us there in, in, in a lot higher numbers than they are. It's just, as you say, impossible. Well, that's right. So, Don, how has fear been used to sell the need to go to net zero? Well, fear has been the primary method by which the climate alarmists have been getting people to to think that that we need to go into this energy transition and get rid of fossil fuels. And the media has been complicit in this also. But for example, they they are always putting forth the dangers of flooding, say from sea level rise they're talking about having more hurricanes. They're having about more tornadoes. Uh, they keep they keep talking about um, all of the damage that would be done because of climate change. And the fact is, 
all those fears are absolutely contrived and wrong. I mean, the, the idea that sea level rise is going to flood the state of Florida is absolutely absurd. And there's more, a lot of information as to why that's not possible. <clears throat> and once again, I try to emphasize this in the book. Take hurricanes, for example. There are no more stronger or more frequent hurricanes today than there were 100 years ago. And each one of these fears, um, I, I, try to, I try to identify several of them and to, and to show that they are, they are not, not happening and that we're being actually lied to by the climate alarmists. Well, I hope people take your book to heart. Don, big picture, if you can make just one point. What is the most important single point you'd like our listeners to take away from our discussion of your book, Clean Energy Crisis, The Challenge of Replacing Fossil Fuels Today? And tell them how they can get a copy. Well, first of all, if we attempt to abandon fossil fuels, we could destroy our country. And uh, that is the reason I am dedicating the book to my great-grandchildren, because I, I want them to live in a free, prosperous country. Uh, by going down this road, we're, we're, we're taking our strength and we're converting our strength where we have huge reserves of fossil fuels and we're transferring that into becoming dependent upon other countries, which is not in our best interest. Now, the, the book is available on Amazon, uh, and I would hope that people would, would go to it. They can use their look inside uh, a feature to see um, who's endorsed the book. They can see what the chapters are, and they can read part of chapter one. And I think if they'll do that, they'll be excited, and they'll, and they'll buy the book. Well, I wish you luck in the sales. More important, I wish you luck in spreading the message and uh, in your health. Don, it's always good to speak with you. You are in my prayers, and I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Well, I thank you very much. It's been great to talk with you again. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, as, I, I'm dedicated to getting this book into people's hands. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Don Deers and as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, please consider attending Heartland's forthcoming International Conference on Climate Change at the Hilton Lake, Buena Vista, Orlando, Florida on Thursday, February 23rd, Saturday, February 25th. The conference will have panels and presentations from many of the world's top climate and energy experts discussing the latest climate science and wrong-headed energy policy solutions the world's government to deter seem determined to, to impose on us. Also, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. 